Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a scalable, full-stack monitoring platform. Datadog's synthetic monitoring enables you to detect front-end errors and performance errors by analyzing user sessions and receiving actionable alerts. API tests help you detect and debug user-facing issues in critical endpoints and applications. Build and deploy self-maintaining browser tests to simulate user journeys from global locations. Start proactively monitoring your user experience today with a free 14-day trial of Datadog by visiting datadog.com slash frontend dash cloudcast. That's datadog.com slash frontend dash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And as we record this, it is January of 2023. I still can't believe I'm saying that. This is Aaron this week for Cloud News. I'm going to jump right into Cloud News and then uh, just a a couple articles, short Cloud News this week. Then we're going to jump into our look ahead uh, for AI and ML for 2023. So, First article is a funding round. Um, and actually, I have some questions, and maybe some folks out there can help me out a little bit with this. And if you are uh, have an opinion on this or, or can help me out with the logic behind it, um, let me know, show at thecloudcast.net. But uh, Chronosphere, uh, in the observability, excuse me, in the observability space, um, has raised another $115 million at a $1.6 billion uh, valuation. And... I know I've joked on here before, seems like everyone's a unicorn these days. So, you know, the fact that it's at a 1 billion plus evaluation isn't even that big of a deal or that surprising. Uh, But what has me maybe scratching my head a little bit about this one is uh, the fact that they they had already raised um, 228 million, um, but they went from uh, 28 million to 200 million Series C. And had a one billion dollar or yeah one billion dollar valuation last year, and they're announcing an extension of the Series C, not a Series D, but an extension of a Series C and an extension of a, a funding round from over a year ago. Um, so taking in more money, calling it a C round, increasing the valuation. I don't know. That sounds like a like a, a D round to me, but apparently uh, that's not where we're calling it anymore. So like I said, if anybody can explain that one, uh, let me know. Uh, Because that one has me scratching my head a little bit. But the observability space, I mean, there's lots of folks in this space. Um, Datadog, of course, AppDynamics, New Relic, Dynatrace. Um, There's even the open source things that are out there, OpenTelemetry, Prometheus. So it is an extremely crowded space. So this feels to me like, um, as we kind of said in our 2022 predictions for 2023, um there's going to be some down rounds coming. So maybe they were grabbing cash while they could at a higher evaluation um, and uh, storing that in the bank. That That's what this feels like to me. Moving on to our second article, uh, and also goes into our, some of our predictions, was we're going to start to see some, uh, some companies uh, get acquired. Uh, it's certainly an acceleration of that. And Fungible, if you follow Fungible, they were in the DPU space. Uh, they uh, were acquired by Microsoft. Now, very little about this, um, which makes me think this is an AccuHire. Um, 
Microsoft is uh, already had a DPU product or was already working on something. And this feels like something enhancing the existing products, getting something into Azure, uh, beefing up the Azure uh, product line uh, going forward. So I think this tech is just going to be absorbed into Azure and it, it won't necessarily uh, live on as a product. But again, opinion of Aaron based off of a teeny tiny little blog uh, that announced it. Um, also, prices weren't disclosed or any kind of features like that. So uh, that closes out cloud news for this week. And coming up right after the break, we're going to be doing our next look ahead show. We're going to be doing a look ahead into artificial intelligence and machine learning. And we're bringing back Sam Charrington from the Twimmel AI podcast for that. It's our mission to give IT pros a break. So here it is. We wish it was longer, but to keep saving IT pros time and money, we only paid for a 30-second ad. From racks and PDUs to backup power, Eaton and Triplight have joined forces to bring more sanity to your day every day. Visit eaton.com slash audio today. And we're back. And, you know, as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, this week is going to be another one of the the really awesome uh, looking ahead to 2023 shows. Hopefully you all have enjoyed the show so far. Uh, we've had a couple out there. Uh, Aaron, these are always, I, I feel like, I don't want to say these are our, our best shows of the year, but these are the ones we really, really, they're, they're good shows, but they're the ones we really get a chance to to dig into things because um, I think we we abstract them a little bit. I think we 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 take some big, big topics and we, we really abstract them a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And and for this show, we're going to be talking about AI and ML. And we're asking previous guests uh, from many look-aheads here, it seems like. So so Sam Charrington from uh, the Twimmel AI podcast. So first of all, Sam, how are you doing? And welcome back to the show. Hey, guys. I am doing great. Super excited to be on the show. And thanks for having me. Yeah. And, and, and Sam, first of all, so like I said, um, we tend to, we've been doing these look aheads for years. Um, and we, we pick some, some trends and topics we think are going to be important in the upcoming year. And I, I would say you're probably, uh, you know, repeat offender, <laughs> depending on how you look at it, right? We, we, your, your shows have always been very positively received and your podcast is also positive, re, positively received. And by the way, link is in the show notes. If you don't listen to the Twimble podcast, please go do. But um, let's get started for those that maybe don't listen to that. Give everyone a little bit about the breadth of things you're doing over the Twimble AI and, and how do, how do people get involved with something like that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you can definitely subscribe to the podcast. Uh, that is a big focus of ours. We just recently crossed 600 shows. We've been doing it for about six years now. Um, in addition to the podcast itself, we host an annual conference uh, called TwimmelCon, as well as online events throughout the year. We host a learning community. These are folks that want to learn about various topics in ML and AI. Uh, that's accessible via our website as well. That's twimmelai.com. And in addition to all of that, I am also uh, kind of thinking of myself as an industry analyst. 
Um, I publish research in the form of ebooks and articles also uh, on the website. One of the big focus areas for that is MLOps, uh, but as well broader areas in ML and AI and some of the generative AI stuff that we'll be talking a bit about today. Yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna dive into a bunch of stuff. I, I want to ask this question because we get we get asked sort of similar stuff, especially for for people that are either you know new to the podcast or, or even new to the domain. Um, you know, you've 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 covered a lot of things in six hundred shows in, in six years. If if you were talking to somebody new to the space, you know, new new grad or you know just somebody who's like, oh, I'm you know I've, I've been around technology or IT, and I and I you know I've heard great things about the show. I want to sort of dive into it how do you, like do you have a kind of a you know here's where i would tell someone new to start like your website way beyond ours is so much easier to sort of you know organize things but if if somebody was new to it do you just tell them to sort of jump in and start listening to things do you are there some basic things that you tell them to start with um you know for folks that are newer to this space yeah it's funny we were talking about websites earlier uh but we revamped our website this past year. And one of the things that we're really excited about is we've got, um, we're, we publish these these topics so that folks can dig into individual topics uh, that they're interested in. And those topics could be things like computer vision or reinforcement learning or any of the, the subfields in, in AI. Uh, and we also are able to publish playlists on the show. And one of those playlists we have is new to the pod. Uh, so for folks who are new to the podcast, some of our, um, you know, what we think of as most accessible and kind of broadest interest shows. Um, and in fact, I was just, uh, just chatting with my producer about updating that for 2023. Uh, so, uh, we've got some, some great shows in that, uh, in that collection, that playlist, uh, including an interview with Andrew Ng. I think there's one with Michael Jordan, who's a, a Berkeley professor, uh, Tim Gebru, who um, is a, a, a ethical AI researcher, and many others. Awesome. Nice. Awesome. Nice. That's fantastic. So, so, Sam, let me ask you this. Let's kind of jump into some of the recent headlines. Um, you know, there's things out there around stable diffusion and chat GPT and, and also too, we'll highlight a, the recent podcast you did specifically with chat GPT. So, um, definitely want to talk about that a little bit, but for those that aren't necessarily around this space every day, it feels like towards the end of the year in 2022, we had some huge leaps in, in usability over previous years. And so, I mean, is that what you saw? Do you see a big jump in AI at the end of 2022? Or was this just some good UI design that came out? Or tell us a little <laughs> bit about how this came to be. Now it, it's a really, really interesting way to, to put the question. I think it's, it's both of those things. Um, in this space, as I guess is the case with uh, other spaces in, in tech, it's you know, what you see in any given day is kind of the result of an incremental innovation process. Um, but also, I think that we did experience some inflection point this year in terms of usability and accessibility and yeah, performance even. Um, and Stable Diffusion and ChatGPT are great examples of this. So in the case of Stable Diffusion, 
you know, that the, the innovation path there is, you know, come from GANs, which were a big deal in like 2018, 2019. You may remember there was this website, This Person Does Not Exist, which was essentially a collection of uh, synthetically generated faces. Um, that was all the, the rave then. Uh, and then in 21, like we all lost our minds over Dolly One, uh, which was creating uh, images from text prompts. But then Dolly Two, you know, early last year, raised the bar significantly um, due to some technical innovation. Um, th- this concept of latent diffusion that we don't need to, to get into. Um, and likewise, on the uh, stable diffusion, um, or rather, with stable diffusion, uh, they took all of that that innovation and then made it so that you can access it via Discord bot, which, you know, and that's the when you saw it blow up on Twitter, right? Um, I think a similar thing has happened with ChatGPT. Uh, so, you know, ChatGPT blew our minds, or sorry, GPT-3 blew our minds uh, in 2020. Like people were doing all kinds of crazy experiments like, hey, ChatGPT, make me a website and the thing would generate HTML. It was crazy. Uh, ChatGPT before that was pretty impressive. Um, earlier last spring, uh, OpenAI released this InstructGPT paper, uh, which made it so that you can more easily kind of tell GPT what you wanted it to create. Um, and then chat GPT came out with a, you know, a pretty basic UI on top of that uh, and uh, a hell of a lot of server scaling capability. And, you know, that has blown everyone's minds once again. So I think it's a combination of, you know, both innovation as well as, as usability and accessibility that's really made it feel like, you know, we're at a significant point in AI. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you've, you've said this before in the past, like whenever like AI has this tendency and and maybe it's just the the people around it tendency where like the goalposts shift, right? Like what we, mm-hmm. what we think is amazing um, is really just sort of the, the, a shifting of stuff. And it's, you know, it started off, I think you used the example in the past of like, hey, you know, you're you're typing into Gmail and it starts trying to autocomplete stuff. Okay, that's kind of a, a thing. And and then we forget that that's amazing. And then we move on to the next thing. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, especially with the stuff, again, like just in the last couple of weeks, like, do you, you know, for somebody who lives and breathes this stuff all the time, do you feel like, are you like, wow, that was really big or you know, that was just the next sort of logical step with a little more focus on, on sort of user experience. Like, are, I, you, are you blown away with it? I, I feel like I had that same moment with chat GPT as, as everyone else. Um, it really blew my mind. I, uh, you know, I kind of thought of myself as a very explicit chatbot hater. <laughs> like <laughs> this was my first experience with a chatbot that did not absolutely suck. Um, and, you know, so I spent a bunch of time playing with it kind of around the same time as, as everyone else. And, um, it, it really did blow my mind to the point that, uh, I had this idea that Aaron alluded to earlier, like 
could I interview this thing like about itself? Um, and I did that and it did not, you know, it did, it didn't let me down. It did not, um, you know, I was kind of expecting that, yeah, as was the case with my experience with GPT-3, like it was impressive in tightly controlled environments, but if you wanted to make it, um, if you wanted to use it, you really had to spend a lot of time with, you know, what they call prompt engineering, like really structuring your prompt in a very particular way to kind of coerce the model into producing the kind of output that you wanted it to to produce. Not to mention like parameters like temperature and all these other things that you had to twiddle with to get the output right. But ChatGPT, it just kind of worked to the extent that, you know, I opened up the window and said, hey, you know, I'm a podcaster and, and you're ChatGPT. I'm going to interview you now about yourself with the objective of helping people learn, you know, more about you and how you work. And it was like, okay, cool, let's go. (laughs) And I asked it a question and it answered it and we just kept going. And uh, we took that output and uh, ran it through this tool called Synthesia, which allows you to take uh, text and create an avatar basically from that text it does uh text to speech to uh to vocalize it and it also will like you know it's it's a, it'll take the the image of a face and kind of move its lips according to to the text and so we kind of brought this thing to life and we're, we're able to publish a video podcast interview of me interview interviewing a bot um it, it still blows my mind uh it's very cool yeah. So it's interesting. I didn't know there was a visual component of all, all of it. I listened to the audio um, mm. and I, I had no idea until you just said that, that there was actually a visual component to all of that as well. Huh. That's interesting. The, the thing that has interested me about that is that when you read the comments and, and you know, some researchers kind of get really, uh, really wigged out to use a technical term about the kind of anthropomorphization <laughs> of AI. Sure. Um, and, and that it kind of, you know, leads people to, to, you know, impart sentience to these things or, or whatever. Um, and indeed in the YouTube comments, you know, you'll see people, Oh, I, I it was really crazy when she said X, Y, Z. I, I basically, I use the default, uh, avatar on this tool and it is uh, a female avatar female voice and uh, it I found it interesting that people very readily kind of applied um, the characteristics of the avatar to the thing as opposed to saying it um, you know they'd refer to it as a, a he or she interesting okay and let me ask yeah. well so just thinking about this too, is part of this and, and why this kind of blew up as big as it did is, you know, when we've talked about this in the past and, and Brian and I have talked about this off show too, uh, you know, one of the big things with AI and ML, I think is a little bit of use cases we can identify with. And what I mean by that is like, hey, there might be AI and ML used in like industrial settings or with a bunch of <laughs> with a bunch of model training or, you know, doing some of the, and it was like kind of hard to wrap our heads around because it wasn't necessarily as practical. But something like this is, you know, very simple use case 
everyone can relate to it. Is Does that play into why it went as big as it did? Uh, I think it does. Uh, and in fact, that's really been the case for, for me as well. Um, you know, I, I've got a small, very small business, a micro business, if you will. And, you know, <laughs> I can't really do churn analysis or, you know, not, uh, or, you know, create a churn predictor for my customers. <laughs> it doesn't work like that, uh, for a business of, of my scale. Um, there were, yeah, you know, when I think about kind of ways to apply AI, and I've thought about this for six years, like it was hard to apply a lot of the things that I would talk about on the podcast to to my business. But uh, with, you know, chat GPT, uh, stable diffusion, uh, some other things that have come along recently, uh, OpenAI Whisper is a uh, voice to text model um, that was released in the past year. Like all of a sudden, I've got a ton of ideas about how to apply some of these to to what I do, and to apply them in conjunction with one another to uh, to do cool things. Uh, we were talking about websites earlier. You know, I imagine the next version of our website. You know, I'll no longer have to scour the web for blog post featured images, right? It's just going to use stable diffusion and come up with a cool featured image on its own. Um, you know, responding to emails like we get a little bit of that in in Gmail today and in Google Docs, like it'll suggest a word or two. But uh, I think we're going to see much um, richer suggestions kind of a la chat GPT, GPT three uh, in the near future. And, and there are already apps that you can uh, that you can use things like copy AI and Jarvis to generate text for you, like to, you know, help you write blog posts, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. I've, I've I think it's much that. more accessible. Yeah. No, I've, I've already heard, you know, especially even in the small business space, you know, people are talking about it in these huge cases, but like, I've heard of folks who are like, look, I, I have a neighbor or a friend or who, you know, let's say, I'm trying to think of the, the example was like, he runs a landscaping business and, you know, English is not his first language and he gets questions from people or he gets questions on, you know, next door or whatever. And he's not always sure how to respond. And he's like, I created a system that just sort of says like cut and paste, whatever it is into here, it will go into like chat GPT, give you a a good proper sounding, you know, English as a first language response. And he's using it to help this guy, like just expand his business because, you know, language is a barrier, but like, you know, doing the job is, is not a barrier. So like, mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting to see all these, these interesting kind of nuances, like you said, whether you're a big business or a little business, um, I think it's going to be, it's going to be very cool. Yeah. That does raise for me, um, raise for me some, some concerns like, I think, you know, what ChatGPT is really good at um, today is like it generates very coherent texts. You know, yeah. I'm sure you see and it can generate coherent texts about a very broad range of topics. Like you can ask it to talk about anything and it'll find a way to talk about them. We'll come back to that. Um, and even in relatively long dialogues, like there's pretty strong consistency 
between turns. Like if you say something and, you know, you can, can you can continue to build on in a very conversational way um, the thing you said before, and it will continue to refine um, its responses. And it doesn't just like forget what you said a couple of responses ago. Um, and so I, I think that is that, you know, those things are big contributors to like what makes it so impressive to in, interact with. At the same time, it is prone to uh, what is, uh, you know, the technical term is hallucination. Uh, the colloquial term is bullshitting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it will just make stuff up. In fact, I was just um, prompting it for a one of the one of the technical things in chat GPT um, that uh, you know in kind of thinking about the this kind of series of innovations that got us from GPT three to chat GPT. One of the things uh, is this idea of RLHF reinforcement learning from human feedback as uh, you know, paper that uh, OpenAI came out with that kind of showed how they did, how they used that technique to um, create this instruct GPT thing that I mentioned. Well, I asked chat GPT to provide a, um, kind of high-level explanation for that. Uh, and it said that RLHF was regularized leaderboard human following. Total bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and you know, so like in this example with someone, you know, who doesn't speak the language, like if you're not paying attention and don't have some knowledge of the thing that it's, you know, talking about, you know, how do you... How do you recognize that? Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> the the now, old subject matter expert kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, OpenAI is is working really hard to um, to build guardrails to try to you know prevent uh, abuse and to uh, I suspect you know over time they'll. Um, they'll be working hard to figure out ways to, you know, either let you know how confident it is uh, in its responses or to, uh, you know, weed out responses that don't, you know, meet some confidence bar or something like that. But that's a, a big concern. Uh, there's also, you know, concerns around bias. Like this thing is trained on, you know, an internet's worth of text. Well, an internet's worth of text has an internet's worth of shitty stuff in it uh, from a, a bias perspective uh, and fairness and, and things like that. And so, you know, that's a, a concern. Um, you know, plagiarism and spam are kind of offsided, uh, you know, risks of systems like these being readily available um and you know go on youtube and type jet chat gpt and you'll find hey i you know created 100 blog posts in 10 minutes with chat gpt <laughs> like i don't want to read those blog posts <laughs> yeah hey right? i, I, I want to shift gears a little bit you're you you're you're both a, a technologist but also an analyst which means you you care about the numbers and and things, you know, kind of the the economics of behind things, you know, with with some of these these things like like OpenAI, which is 
you know, we, we've seen some numbers like it's it's pretty expensive to run. Um, you know, there's various people that have funded it, and um, like, wh- what are you starting to see as to what what those guys think their business model would look like? Is it is it like we want to be the center of everything? Everything runs through like an open AI. Do they expect to do a lot of like, oh, we're gonna um, you know, we're going to not, not outsource stuff, but like embed stuff into other services. Like, are you getting any sense of, you know, the, this is this really powerful thing, but, but again, behind the scenes, it's, it's pretty expensive because there's lots of compute and but like, have you gotten any sense of what the, you know, the ecosystem around something as powerful as, is, you know, we can use chat GBT, but, but any of these services, what they might start to look like. Yeah. The way open AI is positioning their business model thus far is, that you pay essentially per API invocation, right? So GPT-3 sits behind an API, you give it some some text and some parameters and it'll send you back a response. And uh, chat GPT is not yet available via an API, but one can imagine that there will at some point soon be a chat GPT API. And it's the same kind of thing. You maybe, uh, you know, give it a, uh, you give it a, a prompt, an initial prompt, and it'll send you back like a, a session token uh, and a response. And you keep referring to that session token and kind of continue to, to build this dialogue that it tracks for you. And they'll charge you, I forget what it is for chat GPT four tenths of a cent or something like that per API invocation or, or, you know, whatever the number is. Um, And I think the interesting thing there is that the, you know, their, a, a significant part of their investment is this kind of the upfront training you know, and all the research, of course, that goes into, you know, knowing what to train and how to train it. But um, the the training of these models is, you know, huge hundreds of millions of dollar investments, right? You're essentially crawling all of the text on the internet and training a gigantic model, you know, on all of that text. Um, and so from that perspective, it's, you know, it's in their interest to, you know, kind of tightly gate access to this thing, um, you know, limit the ways that it can be used in, in terms of, you know, they, they've got the way that they think about the API and the way you should use it. And that's the way you, you get to use it because, you know, it's their models behind their, their API. Um, there's a whole other school of thought, which is uh, that these, these types of models, you know, what have come to be called foundation models, you know, should be uh, open source and, and freely available. Um, this is the, uh, if you if you kind of think about open AI being in, in, you know, one camp, you know, the other camp would be represented maybe by stable diffusion. Uh, I recently had, I recently interviewed Imad Mostak, who's the founder and CEO of Stable Diffusion, very good interview um, that I would suggest you take a listen to. Uh, you know, their whole take on this is that um, you know these models are too important to be controlled by a single company, and so they should be open source. Stable Diffusion is one of the supporters of 
the this project or company called Eleuther AI. They have a model called GPT Neo or GPT Neo X is the newer one that is meant to be like a GPT clone, um, but uh, open source. <clears throat> uh, and so I think, you know, that's going to be kind of the, you know, the tension in the open AI you know, business model, right? Are, are they going to be able to continue to, you know, right now, um, the, you know, GPT Neo is kind of lagging behind OpenAI. OpenAI, they kind of take what they do and and kind of replicate it in open source in a lot of ways, like stable diffusion um, came after OpenAI's DALI and DALI 2. Um, and is kind of an open source version of that same idea. Um, but interestingly enough, like there was no, uh, there was no access to no open access or API based access to Dolly two before stable diffusion came around. And, um, yeah, who knows what their, their schedule is, but I think a lot of people think that, the availability of stable diffusion kind of forced their hand and and pushed them to make uh, Dolly access uh, happen quicker than they might otherwise have done. Um, and so it's kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, playing out in the, the AI world, kind of the, the an open source versus closed source theme that, you know, we've seen for many years in cloud and other aspects of software. Um and I think that whole dynamic is pretty interesting. Yeah. And well, so, so let me ask you this, Sam, because I almost <clears throat> think about it. There's a couple different islands or a couple different camps. Like if I, if I just want to get started, you know, I want my company to get started and, and look at something like this. Like I, I see there's the foundational models, you know, the stable diffusion and chat GPTs and some of these other things that I could take advantage of. There's, services in public clouds, you know, like, I don't know, like Google cloud and some of the AI services that they call. And then there's the typical build it yourself kind of thing as well. And yeah, it's like, it's, we've seen all these models before kind of thing. Where do you see companies going? Like, where are the barriers to entry? what services are the most adoptable or what applications or use cases are you seeing? Like if we step back from the stable diffusion and chat GPT for a moment, what are companies really doing in 2022 and 2023? Like, and does that take a lot of engineers? Is that a big budget? Like, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think there is pretty broad recognition now that, Use cases for machine learning are kind of far and wide. There are, you know, a ton of them. Uh, you know, put any area of your business, if you're a large company, put any area of your business, you know, on a on a dartboard or spreadsheet and throw a dart at it. And, you know, there's a use case for, for ML and AI there somewhere. And the questions are, you know, then, you know, do you have the data to... Um, you know, to essentially allow you to train a model? Do you have the the team, you know, with the skills to do it? Do you have the infrastructure in place to do it? All those kinds of things. Um, <coughs> the, you know, one thing that I think that we've seen over the past year, uh, you know, maybe two is that the, it's just been a, 
in the traditional realm, kind of the, hey, I'm going to build a model myself, right? Or, you know, my team, we're going to build the model. You know, there's been a, a huge proliferation of tools over the past few years. Um, the, you know, this is all stuff that kind of generally goes under the, the banner of MLOps. Um, there are tons of different tools for, you know, many different types of use cases, everything from collecting and managing your data to, you know, training your models more efficiently and managing your experiments and deploying those models, uh, tools that are end-to-end that do all of those things, tools that are kind of specialized and, and focus on particular areas. So I think that's w- one thing that has changed the get in, getting started landscape, you know, for those folks that are looking to to kind of build models for specific areas of their business is the proliferation of of tools. And that's um, not even including the cloud vendor offerings, which have, uh, you know, advanced uh, significantly over the past few years and are uh, very broad and, and, and rich, feature rich uh, nowadays. And so, you know, if you're, a company that uses uh, that's in the cloud and has a preferred cloud vendor. That preferred cloud vendor, uh, if they're one of the big three, uh, you know, has a an AI suite, uh, a machine learning suite. Typically, those those suites uh, include AI services that are um, kind of models that are behind APIs, uh, kind of akin to what we were talking about with with OpenAI earlier, then there's, and, and those services are typically targeting developers that are not data scientists, just, and that aren't necessarily focused on ML and AI, but they can, you know, consume these services and use models that are trained by the cloud vendor, you know, for example, object detection, you know, you give me, uh, you, you submit an image to the model uh, and it will, um, you know, return bounding boxes for objects or identify the objects in the, the model or you give it um, text and it'll identify parts of speech. Like there are tons of these model, these uh, services at that layer. Um, the, the middle layer of these stacks are uh, typically um focused on and actually that that what i just described I, I should have described as like the top layer the middle layer of these stacks are typically focused on the data scientist uh and these are um kind of uh machine learning ides you can think of them as um and uh these tools allow you to kind of i train models based on your own data uh, and then use those models for um, use those models within your, your software, make deploy them, make them available behind endpoints and, and access them via your software. And at the low level, there's, there's more infrastructure like um, accessing GPUs and custom ML silicon uh, for low level training. And these are um, used by data scientists also, but like with, particular sets of needs. Uh, so the the tooling availability uh, has really matured over the past uh, couple of years, and that's 
um, taken a big uh, chunk out of the difficulty to get started. Yeah, no, that's that's it's awesome to see, especially given you know the the resources around finding data scientists and and so forth. You you want to you want an easy you want an easy path somewhere in there because because you know it takes time to train models. It take there's cost to do stuff and what um, I want to I want to be conscious of your time and and I know you you're like us you're you're always sort of on the forward edge of of what's going on in the industry. Uh, what what are what are some of the big things that that you're thinking about as you know, not only you you plan out who you want to talk to in 23, but like, you know, as you're doing workshops, as you're trying to train people, like how, how are you thinking about 2023 as a whole in terms of both, you know, what needs to be foundational for people, but also what what's really kind of, you know, got you looking ahead? Yeah, I think uh, no surprise, the generative AI stuff that we've spent, uh, spent this time talking about, um, uh, particularly uh large language models like chat G- like uh gpt gptn let's say chat gpt uh these kinds of systems I-, I think are super exciting uh because they make ai a lot more accessible um they in a lot of ways uh as they a lot of ways kind of unlock our ability to interact with ai creatively um and as we mentioned earlier, like, you know, more so than ever before, it's very easy to see how you can apply these different tools to, or just speaking personally, how I can apply these different tools, uh, you know, in my business and kind of the things that, that I do. And so I'm looking forward to covering uh, the, this space a lot more on the podcast, as well as, you know, getting my hands dirty and, you know, building some interesting things with them and putting them to, to use. I think, uh, rumor has it that open AI is releasing GPT four, uh, sometime this coming year. Uh, the spring is, is when folks are expecting it. Um, and it will be very interesting to see, you know, what a GPT-4 powered chat GPT looks like? Does it stop making shit up? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, but overall, I think the, you know, just kind of this moment in time and the accessibility of these tools, you know, will serve to pull more people into the space and, and create more opportunities for folks. And, I think that's a big part of of what I get excited about is just you know seeing folks join and and learn and get excited about um, trying this stuff out. Um, you know, at the same time, we need to continue to study the the harms that these you know technologies make possible, um, and you know work to mitigate those or at least raise awareness of those. Uh, so those are a few of the things that are that are on my mind. We'll also be doing a kind of a forward-looking trends predictions review uh, series uh, this month. So I would encourage folks to tune into that for um, deeper dives into some of the the key areas like natural language and uh, computer vision, reinforcement learning, generative AI, stuff like that. Fantastic. That's awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. I, I, we, uh, 
sometimes the shows get get a little deep for us, but if if you are interested in this, we cannot we cannot recommend uh, Sam's show enough for folks. Uh, we we try and cover it a little bit on the show, but if you if you are really into it, uh, go go spend some time each week with Sam's show. It is uh, it is well well worth your time. Aaron, uh, this has been another good one. I, I feel like this is another one where we, where we sort of get close to the end and we go, God, we could have gone two or three hours if, <laughs> you know, if we, if we wanted to dive into stuff. Um, why don't, uh, why don't we wrap it up there? Uh, we can always, we can always bring Sam back during the middle of the year. Cause who knows, maybe, maybe GPT four now with less BS will be another mind bender and we got to have him back on, but, uh, why don't you wrap it up and, uh, take us home? Yeah. And so we'll, actually, Sam, I think we need to have you on mid-year no matter what. And we'll just have the BS test. Is it a better BSer or is it a you know, less <laughs> BS? Because it could go either way, right? The argument could be made that that GPT-4 could might be better at it. That's right. <laughs> maybe maybe it's not me. It's GPT-4 and I've trained it to sound like me. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so I definitely think we need to check back in and do an update on that one. Um, so, Sam, thank you very much for your time. Uh, and behalf of Brian and myself, thank you everyone for listening this week and hope you are enjoying these look ahead shows. Uh, if you are, please tell a friend, please leave us a review. And, uh, we look forward to chatting with everyone again next week. Thank you for listening to the Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 